Well, God bless you, my beloved. This is Minister S.N. Crockett, Jr. of Jesus Christ, our Lord Christian Fellowship, coming to you tonight, the 22nd of November, 2019, the 56th anniversary of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. I remember that well. I was six years old at the time. My long-term memory is better than my short-term memory. I remember I was in first grade at Public School 37 in Buffalo, New York, when he was assassinated, 12.30 p.m. Central Standard Time in Dallas, Texas. It was 1.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But anyway, that's the, it's the 56th anniversary of the assassination of our beloved JFK, my second favorite president after Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Obama, of course, would be about my third favorite. I'm coming to unite with such a serious subject. Satan, saying no to Satan's sermons, saying no to Satan's sermons, saying no to Satan's sermons. And I'm going to come to you tonight as I promised, and the Lord is not giving me any direction in any other direction. Satan wants you to believe that your lifestyle has no consequences. Satan, whose name means slanderer, the accuser of the brethren, he's called. He wants you to believe that your lifestyle has no consequences. He wants you to believe that your lifestyle is your business, your decision, and that there are no consequences associated with the life that you live. But I'm here to tell you, and I know you don't know me or know me that well, I'm here to tell you that eternity is at stake here. And that those who refuse to live a life for God through his dear son, Jesus Christ, will be separated from God for eternity. So I'm going to talk to you tonight, and then, Lord willing, we'll continue this subject on Sunday. I'm going to read to you from John chapter 8, Romans chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and time allowing, Ephesians chapter 2. Let us pray, Father, in the blessed, holy, righteous name of your dear Son, Jesus, we come to you asking that you continue your unspeakable mercy and grace toward us. We just ask that you open the eyes of our understanding continually that we may grow closer and closer to you through your dear Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. I pray that as a result of this message and messages all over the world from preachers and teachers of the gospel, that fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit would abound. I pray that that is your good, acceptable, and perfect will. I pray, Lord, that I speak truth to your people, that I not in any way lead them astray, but that I edify them, that I build them up, that I encourage them, that I speak to those who are not saved, and that their conscience may be pricked, that they may say, what must I do to be saved? And that I may also speak, Lord, to the uh, body of believers, and that they may be encouraged in the faith that is in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. Amen. John chapter 8. Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Did you hear that? That second part of that scripture often gets quoted, but not the first part. Let me, let me read that to you again. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, not to those who refused to believe him, if you abide in my word, remember he said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me and I in you. Without me, you can do nothing. He said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. He's saying, you are my true disciples, not these fake disciples. You are my true disciples if you abide in my word. And you shall know the truth. See, that, 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 that part gets quoted. Everybody knows that, that part. Even unbelievers quote that. <laughs> and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's another one of Satan's subtle but powerful deceptions or deceptive devices to uh, have us know and quote and believe part of a scripture when the other part is just as important. You will often hear people say, you're going to know the truth and the truth is going to make you free. But how many people say, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. See, that's the that's where the rubber really meets the road. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. You see that? Satan, does, Satan wants you to believe, oh, your lifestyle has no consequences. It's your life. Do your own thing. Uh, you, 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 are, you, you believe in your truth. You're your own truth. All that stuff that we hear. Jesus said, if you commit sin, you are a slave to sin. He's, he's, he's speaking especially habitually as a lifestyle. Whosoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever. But a son abides forever. If the son therefore makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. These Jews were depending on their, 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 their biological connection to Abraham. Jesus said, I, I, I never said y'all weren't Abraham's, Abraham's biological children. But spiritually, he was saying, you're not Abraham's children because Abraham was a man of faith. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus is going to say later on in this same chapter. I know you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me. They were, they were Abraham's descendants, but they were seeking to kill Jesus. Now, that doesn't make sense. For Jesus came through the line of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs. One of them was Judah. And through that line of, of, of kings of Judah, including King David, according to the flesh, our Lord Jesus 
came to the earth. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But here, Jesus is making a very strange and tragically uh, pathetic statement concerning these people. He says, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me. Now watch, now watch this. Here's the reason. And this applies to people today who seek to kill us, literally or spiritually. He says, you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. You see, your enemies, the enemies of the gospel, they're our enemies because the word has no place in them. If the word had place in them, they wouldn't be enemies of the gospel. Paul calls them enemies of the cross. He says, my word has no place in, in certain people. I speak what I have seen with my father, Jehovah, and you do what you have seen with your father. He's going to enlarge on that in a minute. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. He keeps bringing that up. I've got my father, and because you hate me and my word has no place in you, you've got your father. Jesus didn't pull punches. Jesus was not politically correct. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can come to the Father except by him. Jesus, the word, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. The word is a discerner, the best discerner there is, of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So here we have the word made flesh. So Jesus, the word made flesh, is he's, he's performing surgery on these hypocrites here. He says, uh, he says, if God were your father, you would love me. Because they said, we have but one father, God. He said, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. As it is written in the volume of the book, make me a body and I'll go. He sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. Then he, 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 uh, he, 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 he took the safety off the shotgun and hit him with a double barrel blast of number 12 buckshot. <laughs> he said in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil. He told these people, he wasn't speaking to uh, angels. He wasn't speaking to demonic angels, you know, fallen angels. And, you know, Satan uh, deceived a third of the angels to, to um, follow him in rebellion against God. He wasn't speaking to the demonic forces, the, the principalities and powers and, and the, of the air and all that. He was speaking to people. And he said, you are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Probably a reference to Cain. How Cain killed Abel. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father 
of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? Jesus said, you're not going to be able to convict me of sin. He said, there's no sin in me. There's no sin in Jesus. If there were any sin in Jesus, he couldn't be our sacrifice for our sins. The Bible says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Peter called him a lamb without a spot or a blemish, a defect of any kind. Jesus perfectly fulfills the Old Testament um, sacrificial Passover lamb. The Passover lamb had to be inspected and for um, defects. And only lambs without defects could be Passover lambs. That pointed to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Christ, our Passover, Paul said, is sacrificed for us. So Jesus said, which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Did you hear that? He who is of God hears God's words. He who is of God hears God's words. He who is not of God then obviously does not hear God's words. So when you see people fighting against the truth of the gospel, fighting against God's word, fighting against the Bible, oh, it's the white man, this and that, and oh, it's just a bunch of fables, and that's because they're not of God. People who are of God, they don't fight against God's word. He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear. Now, notice what Jesus said here. Again, he didn't pull punches. He wasn't politically correct. He said, therefore, you do not hear. And then he gives the reason. He says, because you're not of God. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon. Well, no, I'm sorry. Then the Jews answered and said to him, do we, do, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan? Jews hated the Samaritans. That you are a Samaritan and you have a demon. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me and I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. You see, Satan doesn't want you to know that. He doesn't want you to know that by trusting in Jesus Christ, that you'll have eternal life. Satan doesn't want you to know that. I told you last week, several times, both last Sunday, last Friday, I said, Satan wants you to have religion. He just wants you to have a bloodless religion. Satan didn't mind you having religion. He wants you to have religion. He'll help you find, he'll help you shop for religion. As long as your religion is bloodless, as long as your religion is not the religion uh, uh, that exalts and worships our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I told you the story of Cain and Abel when Cain brought an offering to God and Abel brought an offering and it appears that God accepted Abel's offering because it was the, the fat, the firstling, the first fruit of the flock. And in order for Abel to offer the fat of the flock, he had to have slaughtered the, the, um, the lamb. So there had to have been blood. Now there's a differing opinion. There are some who say that God didn't accept Cain's offering because he had a bad attitude. He did have a bad attitude. But then there are some who say, and I, I'm also of this school, that God didn't accept Cain's offering because it wasn't a blood offering. Satan wants you to have religion. There, there, there are thousands, there are gazillions of religions out there. He wants you to have religion because he knows if you have Christless religion, if you have bloodless religion, 
He knows that you won't have eternal life. You'll be lost forever. You'll stand before the Lord one day and say, Lord, I, 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 I didn't know. Or you did know, and you chose to worship the God that you created instead of the God who created you. You see, the God who created you, he demands, and he has a right to demand because he's God, he's sovereign. He demands that we worship him through his dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Satan wants you to have religion. He doesn't want you to have blood. He doesn't want you to have a, a religion that exalts Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you to be a Christian. He doesn't want you to come to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and be washed in his blood. For the, the blood of Jesus, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. Without the shedding of blood, blood, sins cannot be washed away. And that's exactly what Satan wants. He wants you to have a religion that um, does not glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I've read to you from John chapter 8. Now I'm going to read to you from Romans chapter 6. Now Paul is speaking to Roman Christians. He's speaking to people who've already given their lives to Jesus. It's very important that we see that. And he has to bring some correction uh, because as Christians, we sometimes we, we get off track, especially as it pertains to grace and things like that. Paul is saying your lifestyle is consequential. Paul is speaking by the unction of the Holy Spirit. He's saying your lifestyle is, is consequential. You can't just live any kind of life that you want to live in and then not be consequential. The unbeliever, if that unbeliever doesn't become a believer, that believer, that person will be lost for eternity. The believer must also live a life that is pleasing to God or God will have to step in and, and bring um, his own discipline. So here Paul is speaking to Roman Christians. This is not a church that Paul founded. He didn't found the church at Rome, but he was very influential in, in dealing with them. So he's going to speak to these Roman Christians and he's going to say, look, you've been saved by God's grace through faith. But grace is not something that we can abuse. So Paul is going to say, your lifestyle is consequential because we've been called to be witnesses unto God in Christ. So Paul says, and I'm going to read to you from the, I believe it's the, it's the, it's the NASB, New American Standard Bible. Romans chapter 6, Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? Do you see that? He says, he says, are we to continue in sin just because we're Christians? Do we, do we have a license to sin? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who die to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. It was the glory of the Father that raised Jesus bodily from the dead. Hallelujah. So that, the, so, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. He's saying, we're Christians now. Our lifestyle has to be consequential. 
there has to be a difference between our lifestyle and the lifestyle of those who don't know Jesus. He says, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also be with him in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our, uh, that our old self is crucified with Jesus in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Paul says you're saved, but be careful because if you're not careful, you're going to become a slave to sin again, just as you were before you got saved. For he who has died is freed from sin. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 8, if you abide in my word, uh, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. He said, whosoever commits sin is a slave to sin. So John 8 and Romans chapter 6, they're, 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 they're both tying in here. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. He, Jesus said himself, I was dead, I'm alive forevermore. He said that in Revelation chapter 1. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. Jesus shall never die again. He's the first to be raised from the dead, never to die again. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the first fruits, the Bible says. Jesus is the first fruits from the dead. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, you're a Christian now. Dead to sin. The next time you get a chance, go into a funeral home and walk up to a casket where there's a body and say something ugly to the body or threaten the body. It's not going to respond. It's dead. Likewise, if we are dead to sin, the influences of the world are not supposed to uh have, have that negative influence on us. Therefore, do not let sin, Paul said in Romans 6.12, therefore do not let sin reign or rule in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. See, Satan doesn't want you to know that. He wants you to think that, go ahead and live any kind of life you want to live. God understands. Go ahead and live any kind of life you want to live. Go ahead and commit any heterosexual, homosexual sins. God is love, and everybody's going to be saved, and we're all going to sing Kumbaya one day. That's what Satan wants you to believe, but he's a liar. Jesus said he's a liar. He's the father of lies. There's no truth in him. The Bible says there's no truth in him. Paul says right here, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Sin is to, no, is to no longer have rule over us. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you should obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But And he's speaking to believers here. But it applies to unbelievers because they also need to get saved so they can heed this same message. You can't heed this message until you get saved, until you become a disciple of Jesus our Lord. Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. 
I'm going to go to Ephesians in a minute. Paul is going to say in Ephesians, you were dead in trespasses and sins, but God quickened you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of, of righteousness to God. For sin shall not master you or have the King James would say have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. He means the law of Moses. You're not under the law of Moses where the, the law uh, pointed out our sin and showed us how sinful we are. We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? He's saying don't abuse grace. Don't abuse grace. Because if you do, God will have to step in. Paul said, may it never be, or God forbid, it says in the King James. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? He's asking, Paul in, in essence is asking, which plantation do you want to live on? You got, you got two plantations. You got the plantation of sin, and you got the plantation of righteousness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. My wife and I visited Charleston, South Carolina some years ago. And we saw an old slave quarters, one of the old slave quarters. But the slave quarter was not being inhabited because slavery ended over 100 years ago, legally at least. The slave quarter is no longer open because slavery ended with the Emancipation Proclamation, the end of the Civil War, etc., Paul says right here, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. And I'm, I'm going to say it again, then I'll move on. Paul is saying, which, which, which plantation are you going to live on? God delivered you and me from the plantation of sin and God delivered us from the plantation of sin to the plantation of righteousness. See, the plantation of sin is an ugly plantation. It, it's abusive. It, it'll destroy you. But the plantation of righteousness is beautiful because there's no ugly, malicious, uh, uh, um, murderous, uh, sadistic slave driver like a Simon Legree who was known to be uh, a sadistic slave driver uh, of the Atlantic slave trade. Uh, there was no there are no sadistic slave tri slave drivers on God's plantation. God's plantation is a a beautiful plantation because in in his in God's plantation dwells righteousness. Paul says, "But thanks be to God that through you, that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed." That form of doctrine, the King James will say. And you, and having been freed from sin, did you hear that? Having been freed from sin, having been freed from sin. See, Satan wants you to believe you can be a Christian and still live in sin. Satan wants you to believe you can be a Christian, but there be no change in your life. That's not true. What will be the point of being a Christian? It's not true. It's a satanic lie. Don't listen to Satan's sermons. He's lying to you. 
Jesus said he's the father of lies. He's lying to you. Romans 6, 18, having been freed from sin, you became, watch this, slaves of righteousness. You see, that's why I said you got to choose your plantation. In God's plantation dwells eternal life. In God's plantation, there's righteousness. In God's plantation, we have a, a loving master. His name is Jesus. He's not a sadistic, murderous master like a Simon Legree, a murderous master who would rape women and and uh, sell men and children and, and chop a man's foot off and things like that. All those things associated with slavery. In God's plantation dwells righteousness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members in your previous life, as in before you got saved, just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness resulting in sanctification. See, that's not a word that Satan wants you to know about, sanctification. It's a powerful word and it's very important, but it doesn't have a very deep meaning. It means being set aside for God's holy purpose or purposes. Sanctification. Satan wants you to believe that sanctification is a bunch of man-made rules. Jesus said, sanctify them, Father, through, through the truth. Your word is truth. Only, only God's word can sanctify us. Man-made rules cannot sanctify us. They can give us the appearance of sanctification. Only God's word can sanctify us. For when you were slaves of sin, see Paul is speaking in the past tense, in the preterite, past definite. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. He said, when you lived on that plantation, you had nothing to do with the plantation of righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you see, there's a good slavery. He says there's a good slavery. All slavery is not bad. All slavery is not bad. There's a good slavery. He says, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification. There's that word again, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. See, on that other plantation, eternal death. On that other plantation, the second death. But on God's plantation, the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he or she who has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be kings and priests unto God and unto Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years and then eventually reign with him forever. On God's plantation. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. Paul said, oh, and the reward is, oh, the outcome, oh, the end, eternal life. I'm telling you, don't let Satan deceive you. Don't play with eternity. There are a lot of people playing with eternity. There are a lot of things you can play with. Eternity 
is not one thing you want to play with. Because you, you, we're all going to spend eternity somewhere. We're going to spend eternity somewhere. We, we are going to spend eternity somewhere. Do not play with eternity. Do not say, okay, I'm going to do what I want to do for 90 years or 100 years. I'm not thinking about God and about Jesus. I'm going to do what I want to do for 80, 90, 100 years, 110 years. You may get more than 100 years. But then eternity will look you, stare you um, straight in the face. And if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ and what he did at Calvary's cruel cross, if you have not trusted in the fact that God bodily raised him from the dead, you'll spend eternity, the Bible says, in the lake of fire with the devil and his angels and all those who, ha who did not trust in Jesus, the beast and the false prophet of Revelation chapter 13, and all those millions of people who refused to trust in God and Christ. They wanted their own religion. They wanted their own philosophy. They wanted their own God. They didn't want to bow at the feet of Jehovah, the God of the universe, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't make that mistake. There are a lot of mistakes we can make and recover from. That is not one mistake you can recover from. Eternity is a very long time. How long is it? You know how long it is. It's forever. Paul says, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God. See, now we're, we're God's slaves. Paul, he, Paul would often open his letters. Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ to the brethren at Corinth. Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. Paul or Peter or John, a slave of Jesus Christ. There's a, there's, there's a good slavery. And the good slavery is to be a slave of God. And I know slavery... I know it has a negative connotation, especially to those people such as African-Americans who were, who were once enslaved. I, I get that. But there is a good slavery to be a slave of God in Christ. I want to be, his, I want to be God's slave. I want to be Jesus' slave because he's my master. I want to be his slave because he's a good master. He's not a sadistic master. Hallelujah. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. Now, here's a passage that we all know. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. A lot of people stop there. Don't stop there. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. For the wages of sin is death. Sin has a payday. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God, free. You say, how is it free? Because Jesus already paid the price. He already paid it. Jesus, the songwriter said, Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He has washed it white as snow. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. There, there are two plantations. You can be on the plantation of sin and death, and the second death, which is the lake of fire. Or you can be on the plantation of righteousness through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let me speak to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Because once again, the devil wants you to think that your lifestyle has no consequences.
Paul here is speaking to the Corinthian um, Christians. They had a lot of problems in this church. A lot of problems. A lot of, there are a lot of problems in this church. A lot of problems. But it was a church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ne nevertheless, how do we know it was a church of our Lord Jesus Christ? Listen. Listen to Paul's greeting to the Corinthians. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Listen to what Paul says here. To the church of God in, in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be his holy people, or called to be saints, it would say in the King James Version. If you know Jesus, you're a saint. You don't have to be dead for 400 years to be termed a saint. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a saint. You're a holy one, a hagios, a santos, los santificados. You're a saint of God. If you know Jesus and the free pardon of your sins, you're a saint. But they were sanctified, meaning set apart for God's purpose, but there were problems in the church because they had to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So Paul said, and then I'll go to chapter 6, Paul said to the church of God in Corinth, this, was a, this church had problems. You think your church got problems. <laughs> this church had problems. But God, he knew this. He saved them. And he, he ordained a, a, an apostle to be over them and to straighten things out. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified or set apart for God's holy purpose in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, theirs and ours. And the church had problems. And in chapter 6, which is the chapter I'm going to deal with here, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, just a couple of verses. In chapter 6, Paul said, what's the problem? Y'all got problems in, with each other. Don't be going to the court, to the courthouse, to settle your problems with each other in, in front of worldly courts. He said, y'all need to work it out in the church. You've seen it on TV. There's a big blow up in the church. Usually the, you know, the people want to get, want to get rid of the pastor and the deacons take a change the locks on. You've seen it. You've seen it. The deacons change the locks on the church and the preacher can't get in. And the church is in a big uproar in the presence of the world. And Satan sitting back laughing. Ha ha ha. Didn't I tell you they were just a bunch of hypocrites. Paul says in chapter six, settle these problems with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit among those of you in the church, not in worldly courts, in, in the presence of unsaved people. But then he goes down, and he's going to make his point here. He's going to go down to what we call verse 9. Paul says, uh, how y'all going to go to worldly courts to settle your problems? He said, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? How are you going to go to worldly courts when these people, these worldly people are not going to inherit the kingdom of God? So how are you, how are you setting them to judge your matters? You, you, you fighting out in the streets on social media, etc. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. See, Satan, Satan is, is, uh, He's, he's one of Satan's best sermons is to, is the one he preaches where he tells people that their lifestyle will have no negative consequences on them. That's, that's one of Satan's, you know, you've heard of top 10 hits, top 40 hits. 
one of Satan's top 10 sermons is to tell people that their lifestyle has no consequence. Go ahead and, oh, go ahead. Go ahead and, and, and you know, sleep with whoever you want to sleep with. You know, like President Obama said when he was in office, it doesn't matter who you love. When, when President Obama said that, that was, that was, that, that's not in the Bible. It does matter who you love. It does matter. It does matter who you love. The Bible says so. The Bible says it does matter. Do not be deceived, Paul said. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul said, don't be deceived. Paul said, don't let Satan tell you that these lifestyles are okay. The Bible says they're not. The Bible is God's word. Whether you believe it's God's word or not, it's still God's word. You don't have to believe I'm wearing a green shirt. It doesn't mean I'm not wearing a green shirt. You see that? You don't have to believe that I'm wearing glasses. It doesn't mean I'm not wearing glasses. You see that? Paul said, don't be deceived. I'll read it again. I'll move on. We'll close in a few minutes. Do you not know that wrongdoers, he, he, he's saying this in the context of them going to court in front of worldly courts to settle their, to settle church disputes. He says, do you not know that wrongdoers would not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, Paul said. Don't let Satan deceive you through his false apostles. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. So he's not picking on the gay community, the LGBTQ. He's, he's hitting it from all heterosexual and homosexual. He said sexually immoral. That, that's a broad category. The, the King James word is fornication. It's, it's where we get the word, uh, the, the Greek word is where we get our word. Uh, it's from the Greek word porneia. It's where we get our word pornography. Fornication. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, the King James would say, neither the sexually immoral, nor, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. In the Greek, it means both the active male uh, homosexual and the passive male homosexual. That's the Greek nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul said, don't be deceived. I'm, Paul said, I'm speaking the truth of the gospel to you. He says, and that is what some of you, W-E-R-E, -E, were. And such were some of you were. But you, you were washed. Here comes that word again. You were sanctified. The Holy Spirit quickened you, saved you, set you apart for God's holy purpose. You were washed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You were sanctified, set apart for God's holy purpose. Here you are going to the court, the county courthouse, fussing over church business that could be settled in court, Paul said. Paul said, we shall judge angels. If we shall judge, as believers shall judge angels, how, why are we going to the county courthouse to settle church matters? That's the point he's making. That's why he makes this statement in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. That is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified. 
you were justified. See, God justifies us through Jesus Christ, his dear son. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. You see that? Then he goes down to, I'm going to go down to verse uh, 13. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. See, the devil wants to tell you, oh, you go ahead and have sex with whoever you want to have sex with. Go on. There's no consequences. That's why when I posted that I was going to do this lesson, I, first I posted about uh, the increase in anal sex cancer. I mean, excuse me, anal cancers. There are several ways you can get anal cancer, but the main way you get it is through anal sex. By transmitting what's called the HPV virus, the human papillomavirus. From one person to another. Normally it would be from a, it could be from a male to another male, or it could be from a male to a female. And anal cancer uh, rates are rising. Watch this. According to the article, especially among young black men. See, that's not the Ku Klux Klan doing that. That's lifestyle. Anal cancers are rising. In the United States, I can't remember if the article said around the world, but I know it's talking about the United States. But I remember it said, especially among young black men. That ain't the Ku Klux Klan doing that. That ain't the police. That's lifestyle. And so when I come to you, I come to you. I plead with you through our Lord Jesus Christ. To, to walk a life of sanctification before God because our lifestyles have consequences. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By this, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that you're, I'm, I'm still in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? He's speaking to believers here. We're members of Christ's body. He is the head and we are the body. Paul says, shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? See, that was another problem in this church. They were still getting with the prostitutes in the, in the, in the temples in Corinth. Paul says, never do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whosoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And then I posted today, uh, it, it, it talks about the, uh, the, the rise of HIV AIDS uh, in Georgia. And they named about five uh, metro Atlanta counties. Fulton, DeKalb, Cobb. There were a couple more counties they mentioned. Rockdale, which is the county I live in, Conyers, Georgia. Rockdale, Fulton, Cobb, DeKalb. There was another county I can't remember. HIV. That's a lifestyle. See, that, that's lifestyle. Because people are being deceived by Satan into believing that they can live any life they want to live and not have to suffer consequences. HIV. Grow, the, the growing, the rate growing. Yeah, I know they found... Uh, Medicine that can make it almost undetectable in your bloodstream. I get all that. I get all that. But HIV and AIDS and anal cancers, this is not the Ku Klux Klan. 
This is not the CIA. This is not the police pulling you over in the middle of the night on a dark road in Mississippi. This is lifestyle. And God says, come out from among them. Come out from among these people. Come out from among the Sodomites. Come out from among these people who refuse to, to obey me. Come out from among them, God says. He says it, as a matter of fact, I think it's in the second Corinthian letter. I think in chapter six of the second Corinthian letter, this is, I'm reading the first Corinthian letter. He says, come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you, saith the Lord. See, Satan wants you to think, ah, go ahead, don't worry about that stuff. Do what you do. Uh, the, the beautiful actress, Farrah Fawcett, remember her? If you're my age, a little bit younger or older, you remember Farrah Fawcett, the beautiful white woman from the 1970s. She died of anal cancer. Now how she got it, I'm not going to speculate. But she died of anal cancer a few years ago. But the major way, the main way, not the only way, the main way you get anal cancer because it, 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 it's a relatively rare cancer, but its rates are rising. The main way you get anal cancer is by having the HPV, the human papilloma virus, transmitted to you through anal sex. Whether a man is having anal sex with another woman or uh, a man is having sex with another man or a boy, lifestyle that's not the that, that ain't the that, that ain't la policia that ain't the police that, that's not the clan doing that to, to, to African Americans because because the article said about the anal cancer it said it's particularly rising among young black men that's not you, you can't blame that on the Ku Klux Klan you can't blame that the Ku, Ku, the Ku Klux Klan can't make you pull your zipper down and engage in such a lifestyle they don't have that power the police are not making you engage in that lifestyle. That's a that's a that's an act of the human will that says I'm going to live this lifestyle and I'm going to go to church on Sunday, but I'm going to live this lifestyle. But I'm still going to go to church on Sunday and pretend like I'm worshiping the Lord, because that's what Satan is deceiving you to do. I'm going to read this. I'll read a few more, then I'll close. Flee from sexual immorality. The Bible says flee, 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 flee. When, when, when Potiphar's, wife, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph, because Potiphar, Potiphar had gone out of town, and Joseph had been left in charge of the ranch, if you will. And when Potiphar left town, the wife had already been eyeing Joseph. He was a handsome young man, handsome young Hebrew man. She had already been eyeing him, and apparently she and Potiphar were probably having some marital problems. Potiphar leaves town for a couple of days or weeks, and she's got her eyes on Joseph, and she kept asking him, come, come lie with me. Joseph said, I can't do that. Your, your, your husband has left me, you know, me in charge, and he's, he's trusted me with everything. Now, he's given me everything. He's given me access to everything except you, sugar. And she kept pestering him, kept pestering him, kept pestering him, kept pestering him. Lie with me, lie with me, lie. She's probably fine, Egyptian woman. She's, she, she's, probably, she's probably fine. 
And finally, Joseph said, I ain't going to do that. And then he fled from her presence, but she, she, she ripped a piece of his clothing. And then when Potiphar came home, she lied and said that he tried to rape her. And then Joseph ended up in jail, but the Lord had his hand in all of it. And the Lord got him out of jail and raised him up to be the prime minister of Egypt. So it's possible when Paul says flee fornication, it's possible he's making an allusion, uh, a reference to when Joseph fled from Potiphar's wife and then she accused him of raping her. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually, sex is a beautiful thing. Sex is of God. Sex is a beautiful thing. And the things dealing, the things pertaining to sex, those things are beautiful. But, but, but in the context of heterosexual marriage, that's what God respects. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? You see, Paul is speaking to believers here. He's not speaking to unbelievers here. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. Satan wants you to believe you're your own. Satan wants you to believe, instead of believing in the benediction, he wants you to believe in that thing called, um, uh, what, that, I'm the captain of my soul. What is that one called? Uh, it's called um, the, the, the Benedictus or Valedictus or something. It's got a Latin name, and I'm sorry I didn't look it up because it just came to my mind. But it's the one where it says, where the person says, I'm the captain of my own soul. And uh, it's called um, Maledictus or something like that. Satan wants you to live by that creed. That, that's the creed that Timothy, um, the guy who bombed the Oklahoma City Federal Building, he lived by that creed. He's the captain of his own soul. Satan wants you to believe you're the captain of your own soul, that you are the determiner of your own destiny. Satan wants you to live eternally with him in the lake of fire. He wants you to live eternally with him in the lake of fire. He wants company. He wants as much company as he can, as he can find. The Bible says you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Satan wants you to, and please forgive me. I can't remember the name of that. It's called Benedictus, Maledictus. I can't remember. And I, all my devices are being used right now, so I can't look it up. But it's the one that says at the end, it says, I am the captain of my soul. The Bible says Jesus is the captain of our soul. Hallelujah. The Bible says Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame. And he's now set down at the right hand of the Father on high. For consider him who endured contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be weary and faint in your mind. You have not yet resisted under blood, the Bible said to those Christians that who Paul was talking to. You have not yet resisted under blood, striving against sin. Jesus is the captain of our salvation. But this poem, and again, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember. I don't have a dictionary in front of me. And all of my devices are being used right now, so I can't look it up. But it's called, uh, it's, it's, it's something, it's got a Latin name to it. And the person says this and says that. I'll, I'll, I'll know it by 
the time I teach on Sunday morning. But the person ends by saying, I am the captain of my soul. No, you're not. You're either saved and Jesus is the captain of your salvation, or you're not saved and the devil has control of you. Look what Paul said to the Ephesian Christians here. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Doesn't sound to me like you were the captain of you weren't the captain of nothing. You might have been captain obvious. You weren't the captain of nothing. You were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the children of disobedience. Talk about you the captain of your soul. The Bible says before you got saved, you were walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. The, 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 the spirit who now works in the children of disobedience. Among them, we, we too, Paul said, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath. We were naughty by nature. Even the rest, even as the rest, here's how you got saved. Here's how I got saved. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come he might, know the, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. You cannot boast of your salvation because you didn't work for it. You're not the captain of your soul. If you're saved, Jesus is the captain of your soul. There's another passage in 2 Timothy. Let me read it to you, then I'll close. There's another passage in 2 Timothy. Listen to what, for those of you who think you're the captain of your soul, listen, listen to what Paul says to his protege, Timothy. It's in 2 Timothy 2 and 26. It's at the end of the chapter. Paul says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Does that sound like you're the captain of your soul? No. It says a person who's not saved is in the snare of the devil. Paul says, be, be patient when teaching others because hopefully they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him, watch this, to do his will. So this, I'm the captain of my soul. That's a lie. You've been deceived by the enemy. I pray that you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to pray for you right now. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
I pray, Lord, because so many people are being deceived by Satan. He's telling them that their lifestyle has no consequences. I pray for them now, Lord, that you will break that yoke in their lives, that you deliver them from that lie as you delivered me, Lord. So many years ago, you delivered me and millions of, uh, millions of 